to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Real estate analyst Dane Idle of Idle Insights, he's going to explain how Metro Vancouver's housing market is entering a so-called death cross. It's an event that has occurred just seven times since 1978. It sounds ominous, but we're going to get behind the big picture here. A little later on, Aaron Sutherland, he's a vice president, Pacific, of the Insurance Bureau of Canada. He's going to explain why BC drivers are paying more for auto insurance than other Canadians and maybe how opening the door to competition could reduce those costs. But first, let's talk real estate. Joining us now, it's Dane Eitel. He is the founder and lead analyst of Eitel Insights. And last time he was on BIV Today, Dane was telling people to prepare for a condo market that was going to be slowing down big time. Now we're discussing the future of the detached market in the region. But first, Dane, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. No problem, Tyler. Thanks for having us back. We appreciate it. So you say that we are now entering a death cross scenario. It all sounds very ominous, but take us through. What what is a death cross? Sure. Basically, what the death cross signifies is the short-term momentum average crosses over the long-term. So basically, in, in that instance, that's called the golden cross. So that's where we have new momentum bringing us higher. Now we're basically seeing the inverse. Over the last five years, we've been in a golden cross scenario, which has led the market higher and higher. That is the one year over the two year. Now we're seeing the two year is actually higher than the one year, signifying our momentum has completely eroded. And now we're actually falling faster than the two year average. Um, And I I have a chart that we can supply you. And it shows the momentum for the last five years is really running away from the two year Um, over the last year or so we've been flattening out as we've discussed here over the past couple of times. And now we're seeing the inverse. So basically, it is that two-year momentum that has, is still lifting higher, but the one-year, which is obviously the, the, the more salient, is dropping quite rapidly. And that will signify basically a lower market coming for the longer term. And you bring up the word salient because I, I think a lot of people, they'll think of maybe long-term averages, but you're specifically talking about kind of what the two-year average here. Correct. Well, Why is that kind of a significant thing for us to clue into? Well, we, we do a shorter-term moving average as well, which is basically the six-month over the one year, but that does flip back and forth quite quite frequently. This study that we perform, and that is you know taken from other equity market studies as well, this has only happened seven times previous to this instance. So this is only the eighth time since 1978 that this occurrence has happened in Vancouver. Every single time this occurrence has happened, it has sent the market lower. Now, the last time that we occurred here, this was 2012, lasting only until 2013. Um, So that was a a, a blip compared to what I believe we're going to experience this time. I think that we're going back to more of the late 90s market for this death cross scenario. Now, during that instance, it lost 16% of the value. So if we kind of attribute that to where we are now, uh, as we've stated previously, we believe 1.4 to be the bottom of this detached market. When the death cross scenario occurred, the prices were at 1.7 for the detached market. Now, if we take uh, 17% off of that, that brings us down to the 1.4 mark. So there is a saying that we do have uh, on our website. It says, while the individual man is an unsolvable puzzle, in an aggregate, he becomes a mathematical certainty. You can, for example, never foretell what any one man will do, but you can say with precision what the average man will do. Individuals vary, but percentages remain constant. And that's from William Reed. So 
it, you know, it's, it's a funny thing that the percentages are so similar based on this last death cross in the 90s as much as what we experience or we expect to experience here in the coming future. And the percentages are very similar. So yes, the 16% drop was only a $65,000 realization during the 90s market. But the 17% this time is going to bring us down from the 1.7 all the way down to the 1.4. A little bit more than $65,000. A little bit more, but the percentages are similar. <laughs> but I, I like the fact that you brought up that quote, because I, I think what you're getting at here is kind of the impact that this could even have on, say, market psychology. Totally. Like, what do you perceive would be moving forward with regards to the overall psychology of the oil market? You know, what's interesting about that, like, we, we do get some questions from uh, some entities saying, you know, you're putting a detriment to the market. Uh, we really don't believe that. We actually believe we're doing the market a favor and a service here by saying these things exist. The market is tellable. We can foretell mo movement, momentum averages, all of this kind of things. And, and it's not like this didn't exist before. The, I mean, in the 90s, in the 70s, in the 80s, these, these cyclical events continue to happen. And then you're running around like a chicken without your head on. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. What we're saying is, no, the sky's not falling, but it might be raining. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so the market is going to retract from where it's at currently. And, and it, once again, we go to that water finding its level. Water's run uphill too long. It finds a basin and it's going to retract until it fills up that basin again. So we haven't spent nearly enough time between the 1.4 and the 1.6 mark. Over the last year and a half, we've spent tons of time between 1.6 and 1.83. I believe still in 2020, that's when we'll eclipse uh, the 1.6 and go further down and searching into the 1.4 area. So maybe on surface level, people will think, okay, this is great for buyers. But I also think on kind of a, a macro level, we have the Bank of Canada. Um, we have a rate decision that'll be made a little, uh, I think, either this week or next week, but I don't think anybody expects any sort of a rate change uh, in the immediate uh, future. Right. But I do anticipate that we will be seeing more rate hikes in the future. It's going to be a little bit tougher, especially for those first-time buyers. What do you think of this kind of buyer versus seller market just in the next few years as we experience this death cross scenario? Is it actually good news for anybody in this situation? Truthfully, it's it, it, it's not ideal um, <laughs> because of what the stress tests and some of the other implications the government has enacted on this open market, if you will, f formerly open market. A, a loss to a seller was an advantage to the buyer before the seller has even realized his loss. I mean, they're just... They're, they're literally just starting to realize this. I mean, mm -hmm. we're still at the 1.7 mark as of November. I think uh, December was 1.68, somewhere around there. We're going further down. Now, that buyer has already been hurt the full 20%. We're calling for, you know, 23 to 26% change in the total detached market. But that buyer six, eight months ago has already been docked that 20%. So he literally has to wait on the sideline until these prices come down that full echelon. Now, even at that, then the media at large and, and maybe even the boards will say, well, this market's horrible. I mean, there's foreclosures going on. There's some negativity. Don't buy. Well, that's the inverse. I mean, that is the time to buy because that's almost your last chance to take advantage of this total drop in the market. Once they've already banged you that 20%, now you really got about 6 7 8% maybe on the, on the best day to get in there and step in. Then you add some interest rate hikes, maybe, you know, over the next two years, I, I maybe anticipate one, possibly two this year, but I, I'm really sticking to the one interest rate hike this year. Okay. 
But over the next two years, we might see some more because if the states continues to increase, which they're not talking about doing this year, but they are talking about doing it longer term, well, then that's the elephant in the room. We have to react to that for our currency sake. So if that does continue to happen, the interest rates go higher and, and the prices come down, it, it, it will only stay down for so long. I mean, Vancouver, once it's affordable, people will start to buy. So if you wait on that sideline too long because of what the government's done, even if it comes back up, you know, 10%, now it's a total drop of 15%, well, you're 5% out of the market, unless you've saved a lot of money and done the proper things over the next couple of years. But you're kind of leading me to my next question because, yeah, okay, we bought them out at 1.4 million, but people are going to think, you know, sky is falling we will get right. back to where we were before. It'll just take a few years, right? Agreed. Um, so I, I, I see us say, like I say, between 2020 uh, is when we're going to break this uptrend, the 10-year uptrend that's established us since the recession of 08. Um, and, and that will be the antithesis to start to search for the bottom. And I mean, panic will be prevalent during the market. Uh, buyers will just be scarce, scarcer than they are now. And our last December month was, I think, 238 sales, which which is pretty deplorable for the detached market. And I, I, I can already hear the, the, the question, well, that's December. We'll check the last 10 years of December numbers and they weren't that bad, right. you know. So yes, December is a slower month, but compared to slow months, it was a slow, slow month. So yes, going forward, it, 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 it's, it's a tough thing for, for buyers to step back into the market because of when it is low, nobody's going to believe that this market will come back except for those that maybe have experience or the knowledge that yes, things are cyclical. So like I say, between 20, 2020, the market will start trending hard, hard down. And I mean, fast, sharp down to 1.4. 2021, we will fill out that bottom range between 1.4 and 1.5. And, and then we're on our way back up. Um, I've said with you before, previously, I believe that uh, by 2023, I think we're back up to the 1.830 mark. And then after we break that, we're off to the races again. Okay. So Vancouver long-term is very investable even today. Now, if you have to buy and you got a 10-year outlook, please do. Now, there is some factors that, you know, we're talking about two years out. Because this market is going to dry, is currently drying up and will continue to, um, the real estate sector has a, a big impact in Vancouver and greater Vancouver. Sales happen. The realtor goes out and gets a new lease of the car. They go out and they spend lots of money at restaurants, entertain their clients and this and that. So, and, and I mean, construction's been going like crazy for the last five years. This stuff is all starting to cease now. So if your income has been really well over the last two or three years and your notice of assessments and your qualification standards are fairly high, you might want to go ahead and pull the trigger if you're honest with yourself that your income over the next two years will not be as prevalent or you could actually lose some money because then even though you can qualify, you, you just won't be able to qualify or you'll qualify for a lot less money than you could qualify today. So there is rationale to maybe step into this market if you can be honest with yourself and say, my income is not going to be great. My qualification standards today are better than they will be in two years. So that might be a reason for somebody to buy. Now, if you're just, you're comfortable where you're at two years from now, you can look forward and you say, you know, I got a steady job. I'm going to be doing even better then yes, the, the prices will come lower and you can qualify. If you're not sure, maybe now is a good time to lock yourself into a market where 10 years from now, you'll be very happy. Two years from now, you might be kicking yourself and saying, I should have waited. But if you literally cannot wait because of the financial circumstances, 
today is an okay day. So it's almost kind of our default setting as Vancouverites to talk about real estate almost like a commodity. But let's say, you know, you own a home and you're moving or you are having an expanding family you need to sell Right. right now. What advice might you have for people that are currently looking to sell in this market? Now, it's kind of a twofold question, I guess, because there is that two different segments of the market. You got the condo market and the detached market. So let's deal with them both. Uh, The detached market, really, it's more of a unique market, if you will, because a house is usually different more than a condo versus a one-bedroom condo, one-bedroom condo. They're very similar. So the detached property, you spruce it up. I mean, don't don't leave anything to chance. Get it clean. Get it professionally clean before you go and list the property. Get it painted. Take care of all those little nitty gritty things that could make a buyer balk at your property because they will be looking to balk. Their realtors are going to be looking for the deals to go through, but the clients themselves are skeptical at this point in time. So unless your house is a knockout and no questions asked, I mean, it's going to pass the inspection, all of these kinds of things. If you know, you have a deal, subjects are, are still in place for about 10 days or so, and then the inspection happens and it's wonky, chances of them walking away from that deal are pretty great. Whereas two years ago, we weren't even getting inspections on any properties. I mean, a detached house had 18 offers. If you wanted to get the inspection, you better get it done before the offer's in play. And it didn't matter what the inspection said because you just needed that sure. property. That was a ravenous activity. Now, dealing with the condo market, it, 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 it's going to become tough. Quite honestly, it's, it's going to get tougher and tougher to sell. So if you're looking to sell over the next year and a half, you might want to be doing it today. Because over these next couple of years, we're going to see a lot of pre-sales continue to come onto the market. We're seeing that already. So there's a, there's a, a psychology that is out there in the market that says, why would I buy an older condo when I can get a new condo? So because the new ones comes with a two, five, 10 year warranty and this and that, it's nice. So that's why you get a new condo until... So, so, but not all the new condos are sold. I mean, they're not all, the pre-sales aren't selling out at 90% anymore. We're, we're, right. we're way off of that. So now those properties are actually going to be built with vacant condos inside, brand new that are, are untouched. So those ones will sell somewhat, but then take this resale market, the condo that's, you know, the condo building's 15 years old. Yes, it's bigger, but now maybe in five years, it needs a, a new envelope study. It's got to get the elevators replaced, new pipes, new roofs, all of this kind of stuff. So you got to take quite the haircut because the market wants a new condo because that's cheap and available. So why would I take your older condo? So now, yes, that has to be spick and span. Then the psychology will happen that that resale market has to take that haircut. So they'll come down quickest, the hardest, because like you say, some people have to sell. So they'll have to take that haircut quite sharply. Then it it becomes basically a self-cannibalization of the condo market. The newer condos have to come down in price because all the resale ones had come get come down. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. the the 22-year condo will be the more attractive one for about a two-week blip because that one has the whole envelope study done. It's brand effectively brand new, new pipes, new okay. roof, new elevator, and it's bigger. Because they built the old condos a lot bigger than they're making the new ones. So that will be that new market. And people will be running after those for about two weeks until the new condos that are left come down in price. And and it is a self-cannibalization to the bottom. Um, And then once we hit the bottom, everything will start to reverse. And you can almost buy anything and it will increase in value like we've seen over, over the history of time. 
So in summary, uh, real estate market, it's complicated here in Vancouver. It is. Okay. It absolutely is. There's a lot of moving factors. Um, and, and that's why, like I say, I, I believe Vital Insights does a great service to the market. We say that there are these factors here that you can alert yourself to and, and have some more knowledge. So uh, the market doesn't seem so ambiguous and, and, and so overwhelming. So, you know, for, for the people out there, the listeners, feel free to get in touch with us. If you do have just even a generic question, send us an email. We have no problem getting in touch with you. Excellent. Hey, Dane, thanks for joining us on the show. No problem, Tyler. Thanks again. That's Dane Idle. He is a founder and lead analyst of Insights. And stay with us, Aaron Sutherland from the Insurance Bureau of Canada. He joins us next to discuss how we can address BC's high insurance rates. BC drivers, be prepared for insurance rates to go up 6.3% beginning April 1st. ICBC received the okay last week to boost rates on an interim basis come this spring, but are British Columbians necessarily forever obliged to be paying more? Joining us now, it's Aaron Sutherland. He's Vice President Pacific, the Insurance Bureau of Canada. Aaron, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me today. So why are rates so high here in BC? We've heard a lot of the troubles that ICBC is having, but does it go beyond just that? Uh, yeah, no, it's it's a really good question and something that I think increasingly is impacting all of us, whether we drive in BC and we're paying more and more and more every year uh, in prices, uh, or we're just taxpayers and unfortunately more and more taxpayer dollars are going to, to bailing out uh, ICBC each and every year. Uh, and it appears that this year will be no different. So uh, it's an important conversation. And, you know, really there's, there's two drivers or two things that make us unique here in BC, uh, our auto insurance system, that is. Uh, one, uh, we do have a very expensive legal system. Uh, I think that, you know, we should recognize that full stop. Uh, that will make auto insurance more expensive. And we're seeing government begin to take steps to address that. And, and when we're talking about that, it's maybe for like claims being made against, you know, uh, ICBC or just maybe even uh, less than honest claims that sometimes come it's, through? It really comes down to as simple as there is no limit on what you can claim for in this province. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're one of two remaining provinces in Canada that have that, uh, Newfoundland being the other. And so that is always going to make your auto insurance a little bit more expensive. But the other thing that makes us unique uh, is the fact that here in BC, you know, unlike virtually every other aspect of your life, you aren't able to shop around to find the best product at the best price. You get one product from one company, and that is ICBC. Uh, and unfortunately, as you see in just about every other monopoly out there, um, that tends to breed a little bit of inefficiency. Uh, it tends to breed suboptimal outcomes for their customers. And here in BC, what that means is we end up paying more in this province for auto insurance than anyone else in Canada, full stop. And, and I'll say this though, I, I mean, Insurance Bureau of Canada, you guys are an industry association. So it would be in your interest to introduce this competition. Why do you think it'd be in the interest of British Columbians overall though as well? Yeah, no, fair point. Uh, so I represent IBC. Uh, we represent uh, Canada's insurers. And so in most other Canadian provinces, uh, you know, it's a competitive uh, insurance marketplace where my members are selling auto insurance and people shop around and they find the best product at the best price. Uh, I, I think this just this comes down to is most basic. It comes down to how do we get the incentives incentives right to making sure that our drivers are getting the most bang for their buck in their auto insurance. Uh, And if we're measuring success based on the price you're paying, satisfaction you have, the amount you're getting in claims, uh, the private sector has proven to be a much more effective steward of auto insurance in this country uh, than we've seen from a crown auto insurer. And with all the changes to come, uh, I think it behooves us to look at all the options, all the potential solutions. And if we want to bring the most benefit to drivers, we have to include competition in that conversation. 
Is there, I don't know, maybe an example you can point to, or is there an idea that we can get to of, of what the difference in pricing might be in British Columbia versus other jurisdictions across Canada? So right now in, in BC today, uh, before the rate increase that comes in next April, the average driver is paying about $1,680 per year for auto insurance. Uh, you're going to pay a little bit more in Vancouver and a little bit less um, outside the lower mainland, but on average, drivers pay 1680 Just next door in Alberta, that number is closer to 1250 So we're paying, you know, three, $400 more than they are in Alberta. And what's a big difference between our system and Alberta's? Well, in Alberta, they're able to shop around. They've got companies competing for their business, companies continually innovating, driving their own efficiencies to make sure they can deliver the best product at the best price. Again, unfortunately, here in BC, we don't have that. It's very easy for our Crown Auto Insurer when they're facing a challenge simply to raise rates for drivers uh, rather than looking internally and saying, okay, how can we change our own processes to start creating some own efficiencies um, within our own operations. We haven't seen that in this province. We've had seven or eight government reviews in the last five years to try and figure out what the heck is going on here. It's time we let drivers uh, put drivers in the driver's seat. And if they don't like the product and the price they're getting, they can take their business elsewhere. That is the best way we can incentivize ICBC to continually to improve its own operations and deliver the best product at the best price. You, you might be slightly biased in your answer, but I'll, I'll ask anyway. But uh, why haven't we gotten to that point yet? Why have why has the government not allowed us to introduce competition within our own borders here in British Columbia? You know, I, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think first and foremost, change is very difficult. Um, we should be, you know, if we're including com- competition in the conversation here, we have to know that is a big change um, that is going to take some time and, and that's going to bring its own, you know, its own challenges. And I think, unfortunately, with uh, political cycles, you've got basically four years from an election to implement your mandate uh, and changing the nature of ICBC, uh, whether you're going to, as some people have posited, turn it into a driver-owned co-op uh, or just open it up to competition generally. That is a very big change, uh, and that would take quite a bit of time, and that would take up quite a bit of government's capacity uh, from other files. And so I think, why haven't we seen change from from the current system, even though we've had, you know, um, government after government face massive challenges with ICBC and perpetually been unable to fix this problem, um, is because simply of how big the change would be. Uh, but clearly, uh, today with ICBC costing, you know, over a billion dollars a year for taxpayers, uh, in terms of bailing it out, uh, charging drivers more than anyone else in the country. It's clear that type of monumental change is what's ultimately going to be needed here if we want to fix this over the long term. So let's say hypothetically, the government says, okay, we're willing to introduce competition to British Columbia. What would be, I guess, the, the next steps? Like, What would that actually look like just on a practical basis, getting these companies to come in, um, figure things out? Because it, it's really not something that people are used to here in this province. Yeah, so good question. Um, we do have two companies that currently provide auto insurance in what's called the optional mar- optional marketplace. So those companies could be a, ready to go a little bit sooner, but most uh, companies, if you said, okay, you're allowed to sell auto insurance in this province, uh, all they really need uh, legislatively is just you know uh, a law or regulation that says, okay, you're allowed to do this. Um, but then they would probably need a little bit of lead time, six months to a year, uh, to begin to set up their operations to be able to enter this marketplace. Uh, and more than that, they would need data. Uh, you've got a monopoly right now where ICBC has all of the data. They don't share it. They don't share it publicly. Uh, one big challenge here and why we have so many external reviews uh, all the time of ICBC's operations is because unlike other provinces, ICBC doesn't uh, release its 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 marketplace and its claims data publicly. 
uh, in the version that you see elsewhere. And so, but private insurers, if they were going to come here, insurance is a very, very data-driven industry and they would need that data. We would need a, a new regulatory process to ensure that everyone could see what's going on in auto insurance. Private insurers could come in and they could price their products appropriately uh, and ultimately be drivers that were better off in such a situation because you would be able to then see, have a much better understanding of where are the problems, where are the cost drivers, and what can we do to improve this. So I believe the government said that they expect in the next fiscal year to you know post a net loss of $890 million. This is coming after the previous fiscal year, I believe is $1.3 billion loss there. I'm wondering if maybe the government says, okay, let's give competition a shot. This may be best guess on your part, but uh, how long do you think it would realistically take to implement this competition here within the BC sector? Yeah. So, you know, and a big thing about competition is you take that, uh, if you have private se- private sector companies providing auto insurance, you take that financial risk off of government, off of ICBC, off of taxpayers, and you put it on the private sector, arguably where it belongs. So it's not taxpayers on the hook for another billion dollars this year if ICBC doesn't turn a profit. You have private sector companies unable to do that. It's their shareholders that, that ultimately pay that. And so it, it deleverages a lot of the risk there. And, and that's probably a better uh, a better solution than what we have today. Um, you know, again, in terms of time, it's all going to be at the really the, the speed of government is going to determine this. Um, if, you know, if it was something that they, they committed to do, the current government isn't, um, uh, isn't considering competition as a solution. But, uh, you know, we've seen a few other political parties out there uh, hypothesizing about the fact that, you know, maybe competition uh, should be included as part of the solution here. Um, if we if we did, if we if government did decide that they were going to allow it, Insurers would still need some time. Hard to specify an exact, you know, I'm certainly it, this isn't going to be an overnight flick a switch, uh, but I would suspect that, you know, uh, six months, uh, a year or so, they could probably figure this out. It might be on a, uh, we might get Uber or, uh, you know, let's say Lyft uh, uh, later on than a competition just based on the rate that uh, we've been seeing that. Yeah. But uh, if we are talking about technology, I'm wondering if we look at other jurisdictions in Canada and the way that they keep rates down. One of the things that's being floated by CBC right now is, uh, say, telematics, uh, using, you know, say, data monitoring people's driving habits, even talks of having dash cams uh, to, you know, uh, say, hey, if you have a dash cam in and uh, you drive around with that, we'll give you a lower rate. I'm wondering how, I guess, you know, other provinces have been, you know, approaching kind of the introduction of technology in the effort to keep rates lower as well. Has this been embraced in other provinces? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so this is one of those innovations that I was talking about that we just haven't seen here in BC, because unfortunately, when you have a monopoly, you have no incentive to innovate, no incentive to change uh, how you're operating your business or how you sell your product. And so we really haven't seen much change here in BC since 1973. Uh, But in other provinces, you have things, as you described, like telematics, which are, you know, it doesn't have to be a device in your car, it can also just be an app on your phone, where you turn your phone on. Uh, when you're driving and it, and it monitors your driving behavior. Now, these are always optional. I want to point that out. If a customer is willing, because not everyone wants to have their driving behavior tracked like that, but where customers are willing and, and believe that, yeah, I'm fine, I'll, I'll turn an app on in my phone and you can see how I'm driving, uh, companies are using that information to provide discounts. Now, they're not allowed to use that information to increase prices, but they can discount. So you can receive up to 25% off your auto insurance if you're willing to to let your insurer see how you're driving. You know, are you speeding? Uh, are you, uh, you know, sp- speeding up and slamming on the brakes quite often? You know, they, they just want to see, are you in fact a good driver? And if you are, you can receive a significant discount 
on that. Um, but another big one that, that's come in other provinces that we don't have here in BC that I think, you know, is, is something whether it, we should really be looking at is, you know, per kilometer billing for auto right. insurance. Yeah. So if you aren't driving very far, you know, if you're only using your vehicle on weekends, only going 20 kilometers a week, uh, you should only be paying for the kilometers you're actually driving. You know, and this is, a you know, when we think about the challenge posed by climate change, the challenge in all the other aspects of our lives, we talk about road pricing. Well, actually, pricing insurance per kilometer is a really good way to incentivize all of us. If we, you know, if we want to keep people off our roadways during times of congestion, you know, pricing insurance um, per kilometer is a great way you can do that. Again, you always got to make these things optional, um, and they exist in other provinces. We haven't yet seen them here in BC, but again, here in BC, you can't even purchase auto insurance on your cell phone or you know uh, online. And when you think about that, you can do virtually every other financial transaction in your life. Uh, online. You can do your banking, your investing, you can purchase just about any other insurance product. But for some reason, you can't purchase auto insurance online. doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You can do it in pretty much every other province. One last hypothetical I'll throw at you, because I think maybe you can tell at this point, I like dealing with like the hypotheticals. And like It lets our imagination go a little wild. But um, how do you imagine maybe the introduction of autonomous vehicles kind of changing the insurance game moving forward here as we have vehicles communicating with each other and presumably reducing the risk of auto collisions. Yeah. And that's, you know, we, you know, in the rest of this industry, we're thinking not just next year, we're thinking 20, 30 years from now. And one thing we're thinking about a lot is autonomous vehicles and the impacts that can have not just on drivers, but on the insurance industry itself. Uh, Because when you think about it, if you're not driving your vehicle, if that is a GM vehicle that is driving you around, you're not the one that needs insurance. GM needs insurance on that vehicle. Now, who's GM going to buy their auto insurance for? through. They're not going to buy it through ICBC. They're going to get it through some some massive insurance company. And so if we think in 20, 30 years, if everyone's going to have autonomous vehicles driving them around, uh, there may not be a marketplace for ICBC at all in the future. And so this this corporation could be going away one way or the other, whether it's through a competitive marketplace, whether ultimately uh, the driving environment just moves on and leaves ICBC behind. Well, excellent. Aaron, I want to thank you for joining us on the program today. That's Aaron Sutherland. He is Vice President Pacific of the Insurance Bureau of Canada. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening. You can find our archives on iTunes and Stitcher. We'll be back next time. 